St. Warburg's Derby. Um, we are in the middle of, well actually we're not in the middle, we're towards the end of a series of talks thinking around the topic of identity. Who we are in Christ. And we sang a song uh, a little while ago that kind of, we pulled out the, some of the lyrics from that song and tried to explain it over the last number of weeks. We've looked at the fact that we are a child of God. We started talking about who this God is, who we are a child of. This God who has created the universe and everything in it, and yet we're his child. We talked about the fact that we are indeed children of God. Children adopted into his family. That is who we are. And we spoke about the fact that we were lost, but he brought me in. That God is for me, not against me. That I am chosen, not forsaken. These are all the things that make up who we are. And this morning, we're continuing through the song, and we're looking at the idea of who the sun sets free, I was free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Father, we pray now that even this morning you will be setting people free as we hear your word and hear your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, not only did I uh, get new trainers for uh, this week, um, I actually did something for the first time in over about, I reckon, over 10 years this week, which is that um, I went to a gym, and uh, I have joined a gym, and I went to a uh, gym on Friday, and um, I can't lift my arms is the outcome of uh, Friday's lunchtime's exertions. So when we were singing, there was pain in the offering uh, during worship. I mean, it literally was very physical pain. Um, but I, as I said, I haven't been in a gym for a long time. So I've joined a new gym in Derby, and I walked in on Friday, and it's one of these gyms that's kind of open 24 hours a day. You've just got your little pin code, and these magic doors kind of open and let you in, and you're kind of in. There's no one to greet you, other than all the kind of unbelievably muscle-bound people already in the gym, who clearly have been in the gym for many, many years, and know exactly what they're doing, and um, I don't. I didn't even know where the changing rooms were. So this was my first challenge. I'm walking around, completely and utterly lost, looking like, without a shadow of a doubt, I don't belong. I am new here. I want to say all of this because if any of you are new here this morning in church, if this is your first time in church, I think my experience on Friday was exactly what you're experiencing now. You're probably sat here going, well, these people have been here before. They've clearly been coming here for years. Look at them. They know what they're doing. They know where to go. So I just want to say to you, the toilets are over there. Just to help, if you've never been here before, that's where the toilets are. Um, I mean, we've done tea and coffee. That was over there. And, but this is, this is who we are. But in the gym, there is a kind of a, a certain way that we're supposed to act. There's a kind of 
something that we're supposed to conform to. We're supposed to be able to know how all the different machines work and um, you're supposed to be able to do the right things and make them all happen and, and, and look as though you know, you're getting a proper sweat on and pumping a lot of iron. And, I mean, I was taking the pins out and taking them right to the top because I just couldn't lift the stuff that other people had been lifting. You need to conform. You need to look right. You need to act right. You need to be a certain thing. And of course, actually, what was going on in me on, on Friday, A, was a, was a slight hesitation of the physical pain of what I was trying to do, but also was about this sense of conforming. I, I don't like it when people tell me that I should act like this, or I should be a certain way, or I should, I should know how these things work. I'll, the teenage boy in me wants to rebel against that. I want to be free from that. Thank you very much. I want to be myself. Don't make me be who you think I should be. Let me be me. When we think of freedom, we often think that. When we think of, uh, in particular in our society, when we think, I, I want to be free, we, oh, we're going to talk about freedom. What does freedom look like for me this morning? Well, we think it's about, okay, free to be whoever I want to be, who cares what everyone else thinks. Let's get away with all the rules. Let's get away with whatever the other people think of me, and I'm just going to be who I want to be. Freedom. Or if you're of a certain generation, when you think of the word freedom, in your head, you see Mel Gibson shouting, they may take our lives, but they cannot have our freedom! In a more kind of Scottish slash American accent. Freedom. Freedom in our relationships, freedom in our job, freedom maybe for some of us. We've literally fled. We've come here to be free, to live in a country where we are free to be who we are. We want freedom. But what does it all mean? What does it really look like? What does is, what is being set free by Jesus really mean for us? Well, the good news is that Jesus has a lot to say on this. And so we're going to jump into John chapter 8, and we're going to read his words, because what Jesus says to us this morning is about us being set free by him. So if you've got a Bible, uh, we're in John chapter 8. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, there are some physical hard copies of Bibles just there on a table if you want to grab one, or it will be on the screens. John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. John's gospel is brilliantly written. John is telling the story of Jesus, compiling different parts from his life, putting it together to create this narrative, this story that points us and tells us and shows us who Jesus is. 
And in John's Gospel so far, we've seen this kind of prologue, this kind of introduction into the story, and then John has jumped straight in. He's starting to talk about miracles that Jesus is doing. He's turning water into wine. He's starting to grab a few people's attention. And then the story goes on and Jesus starts to meet with a few people. He meets with Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And Jesus gets to teach him. He then meets a Samaritan woman, a woman at the well. And he speaks into her life. And people start to take notes. They start to get interested in who Jesus is. And after that, he starts healing people. He heals a royal official's son, and then he heals a blind man. And the noise starts to build and grow. Have you heard about this Jesus? Have you heard about this person? He's healing people. He's turning water into wine. He's transforming lives. This is something special about this Jesus. And the excitement starts to grow. And so Jesus decides to do some more miracles. He feeds 5,000 people. He walks on water. And this noise grows even more. People are starting to get really excited. They're really wanting to learn and understand a little bit more. But for some, they're starting to have enough. They're like, this is too weird. It just cannot be true. I'm going to back away. I'm going to walk away from Jesus. So others... They say, oh, we're going to catch him out. He can't really be everything that we're hearing. There must be something wrong. Come on, there must be a fault in this plan somewhere. So let's ask him some questions. So when we get to chapter 8 of John's Gospel, the first thing that happens is a woman who's been caught in adultery, literally physically caught, is dragged out in front of Jesus, probably half naked. And Jesus says, come on, what do we, uh, the, the crowd say, what do we do? They're trying to trap him. They're trying to capture him. And it cuts Jesus to the heart because he doesn't want to talk about what's right and wrong at this point. He wants to show compassion and forgiveness and he wants lives to be set free. And so the conversation continues. They're going to continue to try and catch him out. They want to find out who he really is. And so they question him. They doubt him. But then Jesus turns the tables and Jesus questions them about who they really are. Jesus speaks directly into their identity because Jesus' listeners at this point are the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, who for them, their identity is fully and utterly wrapped up in the fact that they are the children of Abraham. They are direct descendants of Abraham. That is who they are. That is the story they've been told for years and years and years. The story which makes up their cultural narrative. This is who we are. It's like for those of us here who say, oh, we're British. We're British. We like tea and biscuits. That's who we are. I mean, it's a little bit more than that. I expected a little bit more of a laugh, but never mind. They are children of Abraham. And suddenly Jesus says, no, 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 no. You think, you think that being a child of Abraham automatically means you're a child of God. Your identity is mistaken. You are, in fact, slaves. And they, they're like, back up a minute, Jesus. You've taken this too far. We're not slaves to anybody. Which is really ironic. Because, of course, this story of Israel, the story of the nation of Israel, is full of them being slaves. 
The story at the beginning of their journey is them in Egypt, captured, completely being used as slaves until the exodus, until God allows them through Moses to leave captivity. They were slaves and then they were set free. And now they're living in Israel and they're under kind of semi-slavery. Rome rules them. Rome is dominating their nation. And, is, and so they are not free people. One of the, the, Israel, the Jewish leaders, when Rome was invading um, into the Israel to take over, one of the Jewish leaders said this, Long ago... We determined to be slaves neither to the Romans nor anyone else save God. It's part of their cultural narrative, their identity. And yet when Jesus says you're a slave, you can be set free. They don't want to know. They're like, you've gone too far, Jesus. You've gone too far. Jesus says, if a son sets you free you will be free indeed. Jesus is going straight in to the heart of freedom. Yes, we read this passage now and we we think about the gospel message and we know that we want freedom from tyranny and from oppression. Freedom from slavery to um, tyrants. Freedom for those who are caught in injustice. But Jesus takes it slightly further. He takes it a little bit deeper than that. And it's not just about the oppressors who are over you. He says that actually the main problem here is that we are slaves to sin. At the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Sin. That's where Jesus takes this question. And of course in our society today we don't want to talk about sin It's become an old-fashioned word. It's become a word that's now associated with just eating ice cream. Not just ice ice cream, other forms of ice cream. Or some kind of, you know, it's a gluttonous thing. Oh, we're just going to be, you know, it's sinful, but it's fine. Or when we think about sin, we think, oh, no, the vicar's about to talk about sex. You're all right. I'm not going to talk about sex. I mean, I like talking about sex, but that's a different sermon. Sin. The problem we have here that Jesus is wanting to address is that sin is our no to God. Jesus says that our sin is what enslaves us, what keeps us in chains, bound, held. Because it's when we say no to God, it's when we turn our back on him and we say, I'm going to live life my way. That is what enslaves us and keeps us trapped. Paul describes it like this in Romans chapter 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin, Paul writes. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. It's those moments when we say to ourselves, why did I do that? Why did I, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I react in that way? Why did I look at that? It's those moments when we think, oh, I want to be free from this. I want to be different. I don't want to keep living in this cycle that I find myself trapped in. Surely there's got to be some kind of change and movement, but yet I know that I'm in this. Um, yesterday, I had a major parenting fail on quite an epic proportion. Um, my wife's away. That's not the failure, but it, it's part of the story. You need to know that. Um, and my stress levels were rising, and um, I was looking after my three kids. And at one point during the day, um, one of my kids pushed me through my breaking point. And I, I lost it with her. And as soon as I did it, as soon as I raised my voice, I knew that I'd done wrong. I knew that I was enslaved to sin. They, she, she just pushed me too hard, and I snapped. And my daughter ran off crying because I had lost it with her. And I immediately thought to myself, why did I do that? Why, why did I allow myself to respond in that way. Now, partly it's my sinful nature. I also want to say partly it's her sinful nature. And I also want to say it's partly a lack of caffeine. That was what contributed to that moment at that point. But I knew that immediately I had to make amends. I knew that immediately I had to follow her out of the room, find her and apologize. I should not have responded like that. It's when we do, it's those moments when we say to ourselves, I, I, why do I do this? I don't want to act like this. I am slave to sin. It's because we keep saying no to God. And I think we've all experienced it. And I think we all long for freedom from it. Not freedom to be who we want to be, because we know that that's us saying no to God and doing our own thing, but freedom not to have those feelings. Freedom to do the good that we feel that we know we should. So how do we get to this freedom? What does it look like? What does it mean? Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom and truth go absolutely hand in hand. In John's Gospel, he's mentioned a number of times in chapter 1, now and in chapter 14 to come, that Jesus himself is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. When you know the truth, when you know Jesus, Jesus will set you free. Because we also know that tyranny, oppression, Slavery is always mixed up 
with some sort of lies, half-truths, fake news even. Truth and freedom must go together. But the truth, the whole truth of this story that John is trying to talk about doesn't stop in chapter 8 of John's gospel. It goes on to the far end of the gospel. And the truth is that sets us free is Jesus sets us free because he died in our place. Because at every single point where we have said no to God, our sin, us, us saying no to God, Jesus has said yes to God, was fully and utterly obedient to who God is and what God asked of him. So much so that Jesus was obedient to death on a cross. And in Jesus being, saying yes at every point, he reverses our no. He changes our choices, our, or the outcomes of our choices, and we are set free because Jesus dies in our place. We find forgiveness and freedom because of Jesus. Jesus breaks the slavery for us. We cannot do it for ourselves. We may think that um, I'm trapped in this, I act like this, but if I just acted a little bit different, if I just tried a little bit harder, if I, just, if I showed a little bit more patience to my annoying child yesterday afternoon, if I had, could have just done a bit more, then maybe my, I can save myself. Maybe I can save my marriage, my family, my job. No. No. That is not the gospel. You cannot get out of slavery on your own. What Jesus is saying is it is the Son who sets you free. You will know the truth, Jesus, and the truth will set you free, Jesus. Don't start thinking that you can do it yourself. The only way out of the situation that we find ourselves is in turning to Jesus, turning back to him. And how we do that is repentance. That Greek word, metanoia, is to turn our way of thinking around and to come back to Jesus. And in that moment, our no has been changed to a yes because we are in him. And we find forgiveness and freedom and healing. Jesus points out in this passage the difference between a slave and a son. He says this in verse 35, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. A slave doesn't have any, um, any rights. No sense of this is who I am, this is where I'm going. No sense of security. No sense of this is what will be my way for the rest of my life. None of that. A slave doesn't have it. But Jesus continues, but a son or a daughter belongs to it forever. Only a true member of the family has that forever sense of this is who I am. Full sense of this is my identity. This is where I'm going. And Jesus, as God's only son, in a weird way, I know we've, we've talked about the fact that we are children of God, but Jesus, God's son, is in a position not only to set people free, but to share that with us, that status that we are a child of God. Israel, 
think that their identity is in the fact that they are a child of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're a slave. But you can be a slave that's set free because of Jesus. Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. And having that security, knowing our place in the family, allows us to be free to love other people. Free to say, I've messed up, will you forgive me? Even to our our own kids. Free to show grace to other people. Free to give to other people. Free to accept all. Free to welcome everybody because we know who we are. Can you imagine with me for one moment? What a church, what a family, what a community of people who are set free knowing that they are now a child that belongs to the family. Can you imagine what that looks like? What those people live like, secure in who they are, living out in Derby, in this city and beyond, because as I imagine that, I see a transformed city. I see hope. I see joy. I see freedom. I see life. And so may we all know that the only way to the freedom that we all long for is through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. May we come to know his truth and may we be set free by what Jesus has done for me. We're going to pray together.